Good to see you guys this morning on this uh, very beautiful Sunday a.m. Leading up to Easter, this is Holy Week, as it is known today being Palm Sunday, the day that Christ Jesus rode in on the donkey, praising Him with palm branches, preparing a path for His entrance, His triumphal entry. And then just a few days later, people were yelling, crucify Him. Crucify Him. I encourage you this week, on your lunch hour, that's when these Holy Week services are. They take place at noon, except for the exception of the first one. It's at 6 p.m. tomorrow evening. And um, if you got a lunch hour break and you can go, try to go. Uh, Thursday, our church is a co-host of providing lunch for the people that, 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 are, that attend. There is a light lunch for each one except on Friday. So uh, if you can make it out on Thursday, it's compliments of our church co-hosting. And um, we'll see you there. We have been in the middle of an incredible discovery in the book of John called Miracles. And I've just, this is, I've never taught on this before in my entire life. I've hit on different miracles and look, different types of sermons and messages, but not to this degree. And uh, my mind has just been blown by the understanding um, of these things. There's, there's 34 distinct miracles in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 34 distinct miracles. John, the Apostle John, highlights seven of them. We have gone through five of them, and today's number six, and next Sunday will be number seven. Anybody have any idea what next Sunday has anything to do about? I'm going to, starts with R, ends with N, resurrection. Yeah, God bringing dead things back to life. And I'm just already jonesing and stirred right now thinking about it. And I had not even studied for it yet. I just know that's what it's about. And my heart already leaps inside of me for what Jesus has the power and the ability to do. Amen. And i got to contain myself to not get to next Sunday just yet. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of John. The Gospel of John is where we're going to be today. We're going to be talking about Jesus healing a man born blind. And it's important that you understand that he was born blind. He didn't end up blind later in life. He was born blind. It's important to understand about miracles. That each miracle is a sign that points to Jesus. And that we aren't to seek out the miracles. We are to seek Jesus. Because if we'll seek Jesus long enough and pursue Jesus long enough, we'll find ourselves in the middle of miracles. If you're one who wants to seek the miracle but not the miracle maker, you're going to miss the miracle and what it means. Seek Jesus. Let's pray over the word of God today. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are thanking you for this day. Thanking you, God, for ordering our steps. You order the steps of the righteous. And it's tough for us to understand that sometimes because we don't always like where you lead us. But ultimately, if we'll follow you long enough, you'll take us to the right place. 
You will lead us to green pastures. You will lead us to still quiet waters. And you will restore our souls because you are the good shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. Today as we open your word, I pray you speak to every single one of us. I pray you speak to our children in their classrooms. And I pray you speak to those of us in here today. That Lord, over these next few minutes, we give you our undivided attention. We're not here to play games. We're not here to play church. God, we're here to connect with you. Our souls long for you. Our souls long to be connected with its creator. So now, connect us, God. Make us together. Bring us together through your word. Heal us through your word. Deliver us through your word. Give life to us through your word. Give us hope through your word. Give us wisdom through your word. Give us direction through your word. Give us guidance through your word. Give us inspiration through your word. Give us what we need because we are seeking you. You are all we need and you have what we need. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody agree with that can say, Amen. So be it. Let it be in my life. Amen. That's what that says. Well, listen, this man that was born blind in John, uh, in John chapter 9, it's interesting. You know, at, at six months old, thank you, Jake, you're very, very talented and anointed. I mean that. I really do. At six months old, babies start forming their, um, the, the internal images of things that they see externally. Uh, for instance, first it's mom, then dad, then so on and, and so forth. And a baby's, at, 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 a, at a baby's uh, birth, their vision is 2200. It's awful. They, can only, they cannot focus on anything further than 12 inches away. All right, this is, I, I didn't really realize that. I know some of you probably are like, yeah, duh, come on, we knew that. And they're, they're, uh, a baby's vision is primarily wired between birth and 18 months old. That's the primary time that the vision of a child is wired in the sensory mechanisms inside. And so within a, just a few short years of a baby's life, they will have the vocabulary that matches all of the images that they see. Okay? That's, that's what happens. But here's the problem. If the eyesight doesn't develop appropriately, neither, wither, neither will a child's mind's eye develop appropriately. For example, if I say elephant, what comes to your mind? Picture of an elephant, right? If I say car, you guys thinking of a car? House, thinking of a house? Now, the chances are we're all thinking of different types of cars or different types of houses, depending on the different images that we see. Maybe it's a childhood home, a childhood car, maybe it's your dream house, your dream car. But nonetheless, you have an image to associate with the word that I just said. 
But that's not the case for this man that was born blind. He, he had just as many words in his vocabulary as anybody else, but he lacked the ability to have the mental image to associate with the word. If somebody tried to describe to him the color green, he could not picture the color green, no matter how many adjectives someone used to describe the color green. He lacked the ability to have the mental image to associate with the word because he was born blind. He never saw any images. For his whole life, his whole entire life, his whole world, up until this point, was dark. Can you imagine living blind? If, you clo- if everyone closed their eyes right now, some of you are already asleep, but if you close your eyes right now, it's just 11.15. If you closed your eyes right now and you can never open them again, that's this man's world. Now the difference is you've lived, your mind's eye has developed, so you're going to be able to picture things that people say, not a problem. This man could not. His whole world, literally, his whole entire world was dark. He had blind spots all around him. John chapter 9, verse 1. I've titled today's message, I once was blind, but now I see. Verse 1 says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now think about that question. In in essence, they're saying, is it his fault that he's got the problem that he's got, or is it his parents' fault that he's got the problem that he has? In verse 3, Jesus answered and he said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. It wasn't his fault or his parents' fault. Jesus said, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Sometimes things are beyond our control. Sometimes we are in positions and in certain situations and experiences that are not our fault. Now, I know the flip side of that. Some of that, yeah, due to, due to the degree of our decisions and choices that we make, absolutely. But I also understand there are things that you and I find ourselves in that are not our fault of any kind. We didn't do anything at all to have what we have or to do what we do or to experience what we're experiencing It leans on, verse 3, the sovereignty and the power of God. This happened so that God's power could be displayed. So sometimes when things are beyond our control, that we didn't do anything to have what we have and to go through what we're going through, we have to be careful not to blame God. We have to be careful not to blame other people. Is life unfair? Huh? Is life unfair? Yeah. 
So we have to be careful not to blame God, blame other people, or even blame ourselves. You see, it's in God's divine timeline that you are where you are, you have what you have, and you're going through whatever it is you're going through so that God's power can be displayed in your life. Case in point, Joseph, all the way back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he makes this statement. He says, you, he's speaking to his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph went through the betrayal by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused. And 17 years later is when God's power is displayed in Joseph's life. Think about if Joseph, the whole 17 years that he experienced betrayal, he experienced slavery, he experienced being falsely accused, he endured the consequences of those things, being put in prison, being forgotten that he was even in prison, and all these bad things happening to a good person. Yet not one time did Joseph curse or blame God or even his brothers who helped put him there. Joseph waited for the time because of the dream he had, because of the promise God made, because he understood something about the ways of God that 17 years later God's power was displayed in Joseph's life. He went through those things so that God's power could be made evident in his life at the appropriate time that God deemed necessary. And I know that it's hard for our minds to comprehend when we go through trials and we think, man, I didn't do anything to get here. I'm just trying to work hard. I'm just trying to do my job. I try to be kind to as many people as I can. I even am nice to the stranger who brings me my food at the restaurant. And I, I even leave them a good tip. And you should leave them a good tip, especially if you're going to leave one of these at their table. <laughs> don't you go leaving one of these Easter invites at somebody's table and you don't tip them. And you treat them like garbage. Don't do that. It'll come back to bite you one day. It will. Well, it goes around, comes around. What you sow is also what you... And so, we didn't do anything to get to have this issue going on. This man born blind, it was not his fault that he was born blind. But Jesus said it happened so that the power of God could be displayed in his life. And this is the day, this is the moment that God chooses to exercise his power in this blind man's life. And so verse 4 says that we must quickly, Jesus says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us because the night is coming and then no one can work. One of the things that verse tells us in the middle of this story, at the beginning of this story, is that God is at work in our life. 
that sometimes I know we can't see the evidence that God is at work in our life because sometimes it seems like months and sometimes years for the answer to come around. But have you stopped to think that through all that waiting, through all that process of time, God was working? God is at work both to will and to do according to His good pleasure for our life. He is at work. He has divine purpose for us. He has a divine purpose for your life. And you know what? He's going to do all he can to help to make sure that we're living right in the middle of his purpose that he has for us. It just might take longer than we like. Okay? Sometimes it just might take longer than we like. And verse 5 says, Jesus says, But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. This, you know what this tells us? One of the things it tells us is that as long as Jesus has anything to do with it, he's going to do something to, do, to eliminate the darkness that is in anybody's life. Because you know what? God does not like darkness. In fact, when he created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1 tells us that the first thing he did was what? Let there be... God's not afraid of the dark. He's not afraid of the darkness. He's just not a big fan of it because he understands what it brings. And the first thing he did was let there be light. He, his voice commanded that darkness flee by light coming on the scene. And so that is what Jesus is about to do here in this man's life. He eliminates darkness from people's lives. And he will eliminate darkness from our lives. So the question for us is this today. What are some dark places in our life? What are some of the blind spots that you and I have? Underlying sins, unforgiveness, uncontrolled temper, bitterness, jealousy, gossip, offenses. Old hurts and disappointments. Old wounds. What are some of the dark places in our life? What are some of the blind spots in our life? You know, when you're driving and there's someone in your blind spot, that's not a good place to stay, is it? You want to, especially if, you're in the, if you are the one in the blind spot of like a big truck, a big large vehicle and they can't see you, chances are they could easily go one way or the other and just run you off the road and crush you, right? So being in a blind spot is not a good place to stay. Having blind spots are not good because we can't see what's there, right? We can't see what's there. But listen, you and I, we all have some dark places and some blind spots in our life. But the good news is this, they don't have to stay there. Whatever the blind spots are and the dark places are in our heart, they're, they're slowly hurting us. They're slowly killing us. They're slowly eroding our souls. And these are things that are toxic and not good to keep inside. That we need 
to have the light of the world come into our life and command that darkness be gone and that light come on. Amen? So what do we do? What do we do about that? Let's look at what Jesus did here in verse 6 and verse 7 when he actually does the miracle. There's three things he does here in verse 6 and 7. First off is this, Jesus, it says in verse 6, then Jesus spit on the ground. Let me just pause here and say, look, there is not a conversation that happens between Jesus and this man born blind. Some other miracles, there's conversation, dialogue that takes place between the, the one who needs and the one who gives. But here, there is no conversation. Jesus just is like, this is the hour, this is the time, and this is the moment. There is no longer going to be blind spots and darkness in this man's life. Enough is enough. You think you and I get fed up with our dark places? Jesus is even more fed up with them. And he has the power to do something about them. So here's what he does. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with his saliva. And then he spreads the mud over the blind man's eyes. He spit and he spread mud. That's just gross, right? Now, I know moms are real, real, they love doing this to their little kids. They'll, they'll take their thumb and wet their thumb and, and, and then they'll see a little smudge on, on their little, little Johnny's cheek. And then you, you, you get that off. And the whole time he's like, Mom, would you leave me alone? Right? Any moms ever guilty of that? I'm a dad, and sometimes I find myself doing that. Like, Get that off of you. <laughs> Jesus spit in the ground, in the dirt, made mud, and he took the mud and he put it on the blind man's eyes. So here's the first thing. We want Jesus to remove some dark places in our life, to get rid of the blind spots, man, that keep agging us and hurting us and plaguing our souls is we need to be humble to his touch. The man born blind was humble to the touch of Jesus. We need to let Jesus touch our dark spots. We need to let Jesus touch the areas that are dark in our life. You know, because sometimes God's methods are not always practical. I mean, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. It just, some things, it just doesn't make sense the way he tells us to do certain things. But really, it's not so much about the method as it is about the outcome. The, out, the method might be unconventional, but the outcome is powerful. But we can't doubt the outcome, or excuse me, we can't doubt the method if we want Jesus to bring a powerful outcome in our life. He tells us, um, praise me when you go through something, which we practiced this morning. Praise me when, you're, when your butt is being handed to you. Praise me when everything's against you. Praise me when the whole world doesn't like you. Praise me when your boss... Docks your pay. 
and you didn't do anything, at least you didn't think so. Praise me when you don't get the overtime you hoped you got. Praise me when, you're short, when your check is shorter than what it should have been. Praise me when the doctor tells you this, and you got to go in for that, and then you got to go and do this, and then you got to have this, and then you got to go and do that. Praise me. Pray for those who persecute you. Anybody like being the one who gets talked about and you feel like you didn't do anything to deserve it? That's a hard place to be in. Because you find yourself wanting to defend yourself. And then maybe you even find yourself wanting to talk about it. I have a hard time with that. But Jesus says, pray for those who speak bad against you. Man, those methods are unconventional. But golly, the outcome is so powerful, it leaves my heart clean. Mm. Leaves my heart clean. The method is not the focus, Jesus is the focus. Because it's his power. And you know what about Jesus? He is not afraid of our dark places. He's not afraid to go into a dark room and go, Because he's not scared. He ain't scared. He ain't scared. He ain't scared. He's not afraid of our dark places. And he's not afraid to touch them. Because he ain't going to get something on him. He's not going to get cooties if he touches our dark spots. No, his power causes that dark spot to leave. Well, see, we've got to be humble to his touch. He has the power to eliminate it if we'll let him touch us. Amen? Oh, we just got to let him do that. Then the second thing he did was this. He says he told him. He told him. He spoke. Jesus spoke. So that tells us this, that we need to learn to hear his voice. Not only do we need to be humble to his touch, but we need to learn to hear his voice. Listen to what Jesus has to say. Sometimes what God has to say to us may not be what we want to hear. But if we will listen, if we will listen, it will change our life. It will change our life. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 19 about the prophet Elijah. He was having a hard time hearing the voice of God. And you would think a prophet should have no problem hearing the voice of God. But here's the thing. Elijah was running away. He had done such powerful miracles. And he got scared. And he ran away said he ended up finding a place in a cave and he was hiding. In other words, he was in a dark place. He was in a dark place. And it said that the Lord came to Elijah and asked him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He's asking it like, you don't belong here. Why are you even here? This is not you. This is not who you are. You don't hide. 
don't run? You ask him, what are you doing here? And he says, get out of the cave. Step out on the edge of that mountain. And at that time he did, that said, the Lord came by. And there was this violent windstorm that shook the mountain. But it said the Lord wasn't in the wind. Then it said there was an earthquake that shook everything, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then there was this fire. Surely he's in fire. He's all-consuming fire, but the Bible says no, he was not even in that fire. Then it said there was the sound of a gentle Other translations might say, still, small voice. And it said, Elijah heard that. He heard his still, small voice. And asked him again, Elijah, what are you doing here? You know, my wife and I, we're not the greatest parents in the world, but one of the things that we have discovered sometimes about our kids, different ones at different times, is well, if I want to get one of their some of, one of the kids' attention, it, it's not raising my voice that gets their attention. It's coming over to them like this and saying, "What are you doing? Calm down." And you know what? It has an amazing impact. Now, we're not batting a thousand at this game. Because sometimes I want to yell at them. We have to learn to hear his voice. Because he doesn't always shout. It's not always loud. It's not always boisterous. Come on, I mean, the world loud enough, right? The world is loud enough. People are loud enough. But God's voice is set at the right decimal level that we, as his people, we can hear. You can hear his voice. Just don't ignore it. If you want the dark places to be gone, Blind spots to be removed, you got to learn to listen to his voice. And then he says this, verse 7. He tells him, he says, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, for Siloam means sent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus touched him, he spoke to him, and then he directed him. If we want dark places to be removed out of our life, want those blind spots that aren't good for us, we have to learn to honor His direction. Honor His direction. Live life following Jesus' directions. There's one thing we know for sure about Him, is He always knows where He's going. He always knows where He wants to go. He just might not always tell us everything that's going to happen. But we have to learn to honor His directions. Because let's face it, if He really told us everything that was going to happen in a journey, 
chances are we wouldn't do it. Because in that, he's going to share all the good stuff, but he's going to tell you all the bad stuff too. <clears throat> he just doesn't do that. He just doesn't do that. Sometimes I don't tell my kids that we're going to go to a certain place to eat or a special place sometimes because I don't want them driving me crazy all week. And if plans happen to change beyond my control, I don't want to look like the bad guy. They never knew, no harm. Sometimes I get too excited and I leak and I tell them. And it works out, praise God. Live life following Jesus' directions. And this blind man, here he is, this blind man, he's already got, he doesn't know what he's got on his face. He doesn't know what mud is because he has never seen mud. But he's got mud on his eyes. And Jesus says, go to that pool of Siloam and wash. Now, that pool is several hundred feet away from where they are. It's not, right, it's not like, hey, it's right here. He's still blind. Jesus is still going to make the poor blind man walk several hundred feet to the pool. It seems unnecessary, right? You're going to heal me, but, now you, you, but before you heal me, you want me to walk blind still to the pool, and that's where you want me to wash. But there's no dialogue. The man went, washed, came back seeing. He trusted and he honored the directions that the Lord gave him. Sometimes it won't make sense. Come on now. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense to our natural eye and our natural mind. But if we know the voice of God and he tells us what to do and we do it, he'll never lead us astray. Amen? Praise God. This right, hey, Pastor Prentice, I don't know, this right side's getting it today. I know in, in prayer rally, you were boasting about this left side getting all the glory, but boy, this right side's really showing out this morning. As you know, I've been reading this, read this book, The Grave Robber, and there's a story in here about a, a bishop named William Frey, and he, he shares this story. As a young man, the bishop was a tutor of a young man who, um, who was blind. His name was John. John lost his eyesight at the age of 13 in a chemical explosion. Not his fault. John felt like life was over, and for the first six months, he was devastated and felt sorry for himself. And his father came to him one day and he said, John, you need to hang the storm shutters because winter's coming. You need to get it done today. And the father pretended to walk out of the room to leave John by himself. And John thought to himself, they're not only going to have a blind kid, but they're going to have a paralyzed kid. I can't do this. But he got so irate, so mad, he did it anyway. And after he finished, he discovered that his father was only five feet away from him the whole time. Because his father said he shadowed him to ensure his safety. But he knew that helplessness was a far greater curse than blindness.
Jesus had, perhaps he had the man born blind after he put mud on his eyes to walk several hundred feet to the pool to wash because he was restoring his dignity. You see, blind people begged. That was their way of survival. And when his eyes became open and he could see again, and Jesus doing the miracle, not only opening his eyes to see, but then being able to, but to instantly correct all of the nerve endings and all of the things that are attached to your retina and your eye and your brain and everything that stores images and all those things instantly came together. The man knew what he was looking at. He already had a vocabulary and now he had the image to match what he could see. And now because he could see, he would no longer be a beggar. Jesus caused a man to step out of and walk out of his helplessness. Because in the man's eyes, he didn't think he could. But in God's eyes, God knew he could. You and I sometimes don't think we can survive this. You and I sometimes don't think we can make it through this. You and I sometimes think life is overwhelming and difficult enough. I just don't know if I can make it all around and through what is lying in front of me. But God says, keep following my directions and going where I'm telling you to go and do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it and be with who I tell you to be and worship where I tell you to worship and praise me when I tell you to praise me and you will get through this. You will make it. You will make it. Somehow God's power will be displayed in your life. Humble to his touch, learn to hear his voice, and honor his direction. Jake, you come on up and help me close out. Sometimes part of the direction that God gives us means that we have to be willing to help ourselves. We want God to do everything, and we don't want to do anything. If God delivers you from, let's just say, an addiction of whatever, then you've got to be willing to not go and buy whatever it is that He delivered you from. You've got to be willing to do away with that natural thing that was bad for you if God does His supernatural thing in you. You've got to be willing to walk away from it. If you have a tough time talking about people and God touches your tongue to not gossip and when the temptation comes to gossip you've got to learn self-control and shut your mouth and it's even better not to hang around the pool of gossipers because all that's going to do is make you want to right there's just some things that have to change or in fact there's a lot of things that have to change when God changes our life right and so the man went washed and he came back seeing. The miracle happened. The man's life was changed. And you know, when God moves in our life, our life changes. And we cannot stay the same. We cannot stay the same. We change and we live changed in front of other people. Here is the issue. It's in, other, it's in front of other people 
where we have the struggle. Because how many of you know that it's others who sometimes deflate the miracles in our life? It's other people who often discount and discredit the miracles that God does in our life. God touches you, heals you. God, God removes a dark place from you. He says, all right, you let unforgiveness go, and forgiveness will flow in your life, and you, your life is lighter and your heart is cleaner. Your hands are pure. But then somebody else knows your story. Somebody else knows what somebody did to you. Somebody else knows how someone wronged you and hurt you, and they try to bring all that back up and get you to start talking about it again and, 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 and cursing them again and, 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 and thinking bad things about them again. And, and pretty soon you find yourself wondering, man, did I ever really let that go? See, it's oftentimes not ourselves, but it's other people. And that's what this man born blind who now can see had to deal with. There were three other groups he had to deal with. The first group was the public. The public. Verse 8 said his neighbors and others knew him as a blind beggar and asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? See, the thing is, the public, these are people who are just enough acquainted with our past. They know about our past. And they identified this man by his past condition. And there will be people who will discount God's work in your life because they just can't get over the fact that God changes people. They can't get over that. And the truth is, you are not who you used to be. When God takes away darkness and now light comes, you once were blind, but now you see you are not who you used to be. And sometimes people get hung up over the fact that you're really not who you used to be. That whatever it was that ailed you and troubled you and plagued you and no longer is there because God came in and God touched you and you follow Him. Some people have a difficult time understanding that. And I want to tell you, do not let others hijack your destiny in God by holding you hostage in their mind. Because people are good at hijacking other people's dreams and purposes and destinies because they don't have it in themselves yet. And jealousy sets in and people hold those things and hold you hostage in their mind because you're free. Because what hurt them is not hurting you. What once hurt you is not hurting you anymore. What, what once was a problem is no longer a problem, and people can always swallow that, you know, because haters are going to hate, right? They just don't like it that you get over whatever it was that held you down and held you back, that now God and His power being displayed got you through and got you over, and you're not the same person that you used to be. You're not the grieving widow anymore. You're not the drunk anymore. You're not the cursor anymore. You're not the invalid anymore. You're not the one wounded and hurt by everybody being against you anymore. You're not the one who was overlooked by, by your boss and never promoted and other people did 
and you're okay with it. Why? Because your hope rests in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You dare not trust the sweetest frame, but you wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And the world has no idea how you get up and you face your foes and you face your enemy and you go through life untamed and undefeated and uncontaminated because your hope rests in nothing less than what Jesus has to offer you. And it's his best for you. It's his best for you. And people don't like it when people get over stuff and it no longer hurts them anymore. People don't like it. People hate it because they know what it used to do to you. It doesn't do it to you anymore. They can't get under your skin anymore because Jesus touched your dark spot and brought light. Oh, if it just were the one group. But man, there's another group. Sometimes this other group is worse. He encountered the Pharisees, the religious. Not once, but twice in this story, they had this conversation with this man born blind who was now able to see. And they just couldn't get over the fact of what his story was. Well, there was this man he took Apparently he made mud is from what I was told because I couldn't see it happening But he took mud he spit on the dirt and made mud and put it on my eyes And I went and washed in that pool Salome you guys all know about that pool named Salome And then when I came back out of that pool I could see again And the religious were hung up They identified him by their doubt of his present condition they couldn't believe the man was blind and he could actually see. Just because some folks are religious does not make them righteous. Just because some folks can dress up and look the part and play the part and smile the part and speak the part, it doesn't always mean they act the part. It was their religious mentality that prevented them from marveling at the miraculous in the man's life. And that'll happen every day. That happens today. Sometimes religious people just don't get it. They think if they will follow the rules and they'll, and they'll, they'll just walk the line. While meanwhile, somebody else doesn't seem to follow the rules like they do and walk the line as tight as they do, they get what it is God wants to get to them. And the one who seems to walk the line the most and judge everybody else the most and look down their nose at everybody else and compare their prayer life to their prayer life and their Bible study to their Bible study and their memorization of Scripture to their memorization of Scripture and all the studies on TV and, and the World Wide Web that they subscribe to can't seem to get what everybody else is getting like they got. They don't, they don't like it when somebody else isn't as religious as them and they get blessed more than they get blessed.
It's not about being religious. It's about being righteous and right standing with God. Religious people don't like the fact that God and you don't let them control your destiny. The religious couldn't control the destiny of Jesus. And they don't like it when they can't control the destiny of people. Religion cannot control your destiny. Righteousness does. Righteousness dictates what you are capable of becoming and capable of being. Because the Bible says that Jesus who knew no sin became sin. And we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So even on your worst day, and even when you feel good about yourself and you have a good day, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't change the fact that you still got to follow His direction. You still have to worship Him. You still must come back to Him. You still must look to Him. Oh, it burns religious people up when they, when they see God using imperfect people to do his perfect work. But then the last group, as if two weren't enough, the last group, man. Everybody still with me? They went and got his parents. These are the people who are most intimately aware of our problems, those that we live with, those that we're real close to, those who are up close and personal, they see our blemishes and they see our faults and they see the wrinkles. They know that ain't your real hair color. And they really ain't your hair. And I don't have much left up here. See, these people, those who were really close, they identified him by their fear of his future. Because the story goes, it says that they, the Pharisees said anybody who serves Jesus and proclaims Jesus will no longer be welcome in the synagogue. In essence, you're excommunicated from the church. And they were afraid, so they said, hey, why don't you just ask him? He's old enough to tell you what happened. We don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, he's our son, but that's as far as we're willing to go. They were afraid. They identified him by their fear of his future condition. You see, an encounter with Jesus means everything changes. Nothing stays the same. Future will be different. Because in verse 25, the man says, I don't know why you guys don't believe me. All I know is I once was blind, and now I see. I once was living in darkness, and it had its hold on me, but I'm no longer that anymore. I can't explain it. I really just know what they told me happened. And I know as a result of what happened, my eyes are opened and now I can see. I once had blind spots, 
and now I don't. I once had addiction, and now I don't. I once was unfaithful, but now I'm faithful. I once was this, and now I'm... You can't always explain it. All you know is I once was, but now I am. Come on, who's got blind spots in their life today? Who's willing, who's, who's courageous enough to, to admit, hey, I got, I got dark spots in my life. Stand up where you are. You got dark places in your life? Just stand. The light of Jesus is going to come. The light of Jesus is going to heal. The light of Jesus is going to forgive. Where you're holding on to dark spots and you're not letting the light of Jesus in, it's slowly going to keep you away from your ultimate purpose and destiny that God has. It's not worth holding on to grudges, man. It's not worth holding on to unforgiveness. And listen, just because you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you, ultimately, you, you instantly trust them. Please don't misunderstand forgiveness and trust. You can forgive somebody all day long because it's free, but it takes time to get trust back. So if I come up and slap you across the face, and you don't hit me back, you probably aren't going to let me get close to you again, even if you say, I forgive you. Because anytime I walk up next to you, you're going to be like, this joker crazy. He cray cray. Right? So don't, under, don't, don't, don't get that confused, okay? Dynamics change in relationships when trust is betrayed. But forgiveness and right standing comes back because that's a heart issue. Trust is a flesh issue. So whatever the darkness is, just lift your hands. You're obviously already standing, so you're already one, one, one step there. Just lift your hands into the, to the heavens, to the Lord, towards God. If you're able to today, lift them. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we lift our hands to you today, not that we have something to offer on our own accord. As much as it really is, God, we need you. Lord, some of us are so troubled and so plagued by darkness in our hearts, darkness in our souls. We don't know what to do. And it's not even our fault. That's the hard part to swallow. But I do know that it's your time for your power to be displayed. That I ask and pray now that your power be displayed in my brothers and in my sisters' lives today. Lord, where there are blind spots, where there, are, where there is darkness that exists, right now in the name of Jesus, that I pray you would invade our life with your light and that you would eliminate and drive out darkness in us, God. We want our souls to be clean. We want our hearts to be pure. Just as surely as David cried out, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right, steadfast spirit within me. 
That's our cry and our prayer today. Lord, we're tired of holding on to darkness. Come on, if you're tired of holding on to darkness, just tell the Lord, I am tired of holding on to darkness. Come on, just tell him in your own self, I am just tired of holding this stuff. I'm tired of letting it operate. I'm tired of letting it function. I'm tired of letting it exist. Lord, I've had enough. I don't want it in my life anymore. I don't want the hurt in my heart anymore. I don't want the pain in my soul anymore. I don't want my soul to continue to be afflicted. My soul, oh God, is in need of a Savior. My soul is in need of restoration. My soul is in need of cleansing. Touch our souls today and make us whole. Touch our souls in our mind. Touch our souls in our will. Touch our soul in our emotion today, Lord. Touch us in our souls today, God. We want to be whole. We want to be well. We want to see, God. We don't want to be blind any longer. We want to see. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Let's go into that song, Jake.